please welcome to the show. Alright, what do we got here? Yeah. People from all over are coming to see him. Gonna be the Wolfpack, son of a gun. You're gonna keep up the hustle to the sun. Hey, and welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information. Welcome to The Wolf's Den, presented by Enterprise Fitness. My name is Mark Tobri, uh, joined by my co-host, Adrian Ferranda. Today, we are going to delve into the world of powerlifting with founder and owner of Lifters League, Gus Cook. Gus is from uh, Brisbane in Queensland and is the coach to legitimately probably the three strongest females in Australia, having two of them represent actually just yesterday at Wildcats and the Big Dogs Comp. So, uh, well, Gus, welcome to the show. How is Melbourne treating you? Yeah, good. Um, weather's a bit miserable, but... Well, that's Melbourne for you. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was in Brisbane just recently and I noted that uh, a lot of the, the streets don't make sense in Brisbane. You probably... Why? Our layout in Melbourne is a little bit more, I think, friendly. Yeah, I think, it's the, I think it's the other way around. I don't know about that. But let's move forward from that. How was your day yesterday at Wildcats? Yeah, big day. Um, definitely gets the uh, competitive juices going, making you itch to want to lift. And uh, just having so much inspirational lifters, just lifting such f unfathomable amount of weight. You had two females in, in lifting? Yes, so I had Joanne, uh, Joanne Gregan, who's a bit of a veteran in powerlifting, and asked me to coach her coming into this comp. And um, um, Michelle Latham, who's been with me for about a year and a half now, and um, yeah, is really moving up the ranks. Yeah. So uh, the the sorry, the first competitor, Michelle, is it? You've had for how long have you had each? Uh, I think I think probably Michelle's coming on to two years now. Yeah. Um, and. Eight months with Joanne Gregan. Right. So, so yeah. with Joanne, eight months. That I mean, is that a, that's not necessarily a long time in powerlifting. No, but we achieved quite a lot. I mean, she was postpartum, and um, so we had a lot to work with. With new, with she had three other kids, a newborn, um, and she's in a complete inspiration because she doesn't train with anyone either. So she gets her son to come out and undo the rack and and spot her. So oh, undoes yeah. the lifting rack, runs around. Um, he's late teens, right. something. Um, yeah, so she's very, very inspirational because she does it all on her own. And um, I have to coach her. She lives here in here in uh, Victoria, right. and uh, so we do it all online. So, so. with with Joanne, uh, like I mean, she's been there eight months. She's what? Just to give kind of the the viewer some understanding of what level these girls are at. What is their, their squat bench like? What did they squat bench did yesterday? So Joanne squatted. 215 kilos. 215. 215. At a body weight of? Uh, 74. Right. Um, and so, yeah, nearly three times. And a um, 115 kilo bench and a 205 deadlift. It's uh, quite, quite some numbers there. Yeah, very strong. Yeah, and Michelle? Uh, she got a 220 squat, a 95 bench and a 200 deadlift. Now, is that your jam? Is your jam like working with people who are at an elite level versus working with people who just want to get generally strong? And she, also just on that, because you also coach Sarah Rainbow, who's obviously over the 75 kilo mark, mm -hmm. um, and she's obviously incredibly strong. I mean, just yes. for the viewer again, what are her numbers? Uh, 235 squat. No, sorry, 240 squat, um, 157 kilo bench press. Jesus Christ. And a 255 kilo deadlift. 
255 kilo deadlift. Holy mm-hmm. fuck. Um, so, I mean, in saying that, like, is it, is it your, your methods? Have, have you found that they're just they they work? Cause it seems like you've got three of the strongest females and obviously success leaves clues. Mm-hmm. What have you found that is different? I suppose let's start with this. What do you find that's different between coaching a powerlifter male versus a powerlifter female? They're easier and, but more complex, I guess. They're very, a lot more compliant, a lot more open to suggestion, um, but their biology is more complicated. Men, when they listen to you and want to be compliant, um, which they all are, I guess, in a way, in a sense, but I mean, who are willing to put themselves through a bit of pain. um, And I find girls are more tolerant of that. yeah, it's the main thing that comes down is the, uh, I guess the, just their biology that makes it a bit different than men. And I guess I guess some of the comparisons there is that, in a way, they have to train harder. I find they have to train with more volume, more intensity, um, and uh, yeah. So we just noted, just briefly scrimmed the surface on, you've got the psychological factors. You've noted there that's quite different as in uh, females or women are more compliant and open to suggestion in terms of what you do with your programming and in terms of technical lifts and all that, whereas mm-hmm. men can have a bit more resistance. Um, and then, but you've spoken a little bit about the physiology, physiological factors. Mm-hmm. So you said there's more volume that you give to females. Can you give some examples of like, uh, like what, what would say, for example, Michelle or, or Sarah or any of the, the high level competitors that you've got, what, what, what are you starting them with versus like, what, what's your method, methodology to start them and then peak them? Well, I guess maybe uh, it depends on what perspective we take from. The, the approach I took with Michelle is very different than I take with Joanne. Um, Why? Well, there's experience levels uh, where they're where they're coming from. Um, Joanne has a lot more experience. She has twelve years of competitive powerlifting, but she's also postpartum, and so there's a lot of other things to when they go through that, I mean, a bunch of different hormones are going through their, their body and um, we got to see what impacts those are having on various lifestyle factors. Um, because most of the time when you get in, getting these athletes to train is not a problem. They'll train to their heart's content. It's, I find a big difference between me and what I've seen perhaps with some other coaching methods is that I try and put a big focus on, I guess, everything else. Like I look at their, I look at their sleep. I look at their how they move, their posture. I look at their nutrition very deeply, closely monitor their body composition. I get a lot of biofeedback about about mood and fatigue and recovery and their their, their clarity, their mood, and all these things give me a bit of an idea about possibly what's going on inside and possibly how much stress we can put the body through. Um, let me let me throw the question in a different way, right? Um, there's a lot of girls who deadlift, a lot of guys who deadlift, yep. right? Not a lot of like girls who are deadlifting <laughs> the numbers that your competitors are deadlifting, mm-hmm. you know, getting into the 200 kilo range. So I suppose like we look at that, I mean, are they, and I'm just going to throw some things out so you can correct 
and, and kind of uh, chew, chew it the way you want to. But I mean, are they deadlifting? Obviously not every day, but is there like practice work involved? I mean, what, what is the set? Why? Because I mean, having three of the top and you've had other female uh, lifters who've been very successful with your methodology, mm-hmm. uh, what is it that's making these successful versus like everyone else who are kind of, you know, some, some aren't getting any success, some their lifts aren't, they're not moving, they're not budging versus mm-hmm. like your methodologies. I guess I take a very holistic standpoint with all this. Mm. So I break down every factor of like um, rather than just purely looking at their squat technique, I actually break down to their body weight squat and actually look at the function of how their feet work and how their hips move and how they utilize their diaphragm and all these things is that once I start compiling the next level up all the way up to, you know, a competitive level barbell squat, we have hopefully covered every underlying factor that could make them weak or injured or whatever those things are and so we address those issues by you know isolating all the all the problems that we have in the accessory training then start to apply better technique and then accumulate more skill so frequent practicing um which they would like for a bench press people ask me how many how many times they get to bench press a week it's like four times a week mm. because it's a skill aspect to it. it's like shooting a basketball you have to shoot every day to get the practice and uh example of some of the best bench pressers in the world benched every day because it's again a lot of skill aspect so there is a lot of skill but work with, involved with the, with the lady who'd been coaching prior or powerlifting for for 12 years mm-hmm. is that skill not refined it needs constant work so it's one of those things that you do lose it if you don't keep doing it. Um, and she took two year break as well. Um, and I've been watching her for quite a few years and um, I noticed things that we could have addressed that would make her even better. And and sometimes you don't see it until you strip it all the way down then bring it all the way back up. Yeah, but I suppose, sorry. So even as their skills going up, you're still keeping the frequency high. So it's not like it's like, okay, we got that skill there. We need to practice it less. It gets, still- it gets really refined. I guess when yeah. you come into any any sport, like you squat, yeah. and for most of the population, for most of the population, it's fine yeah. and fine's okay. But with the level these girls are at, it can't be just fine. It has yeah. to be perfect. It's like every inch of it needs I to be. I mean, millimeter difference in yeah. your movement. Like the way you got your hand placed, The if you see a, like a wrist roll in a squat and that's you tumbling forward. So... Yeah. Those refinements, I mean, every detail, the way the, the clothes they wear, the way we wrap their, wrap their knees and exactly how much revolutions are we going to do and how are we going to place it across the knee, how are we going to place it across their wrists around their wrists. So every, everything, nothing's, yeah. nothing's left to every chance. Every aspect is just practiced and yeah. refined, yeah. Because if you just look at, um, you know, the force, you know, mass, mass and acceleration for force production, I mean, with that much weight, as soon as you have move your center of mass slightly forward with 200 plus kilos on your back or for some of the guys going to 300 plus to 400 plus kilos, I mean, they all have to be really strong to get out of it. But when they're at the absolute max, you can't make a mistake. Um, and so those are some of the things we've got to train for as well. We've got to train for possible mistakes, but when you're at the absolute limit, like it is a grinding max, then so with, no stone unturned. With these with these girls, in terms of the way you, you lay out the program, let's say you took it, you know, you've got your eight months 
lead mm-hmm. in time to Wildcats' biggest comp in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you run us through like what is phase one, phase two, phase three? What, what does it look like? What is your intent? Are you going in with, right, this is your weakest lift, let's get this up or versus, you know, this is your strong lift, let's make it even better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many times are they training? Are they training multiple sessions a day? What, mm-hmm. what does that actually look like in terms of the practical application? So we have to do a lot of pl- I have to do a lot of planning. I have to map it out between day one, day two, and it's different for everyone. So, so what I prioritize is going to depend on their goal um, or what the goal is too. And I also have to be quite – I have to give them a lot of feedback on their goal, making sure that it is realistic because sometimes they can over overreach and it's good. We just got to put it in better timeframes. Um, so um, once we do, we do our fir- first assessment, we look at all the things that are possibly going to – cause a problem to getting them to their goal or what are their biggest limiting factors? And I try to only aim for no more than two or three things per lift. And then I put it in a in the order on what is, I guess, the most fundamental to the most specific and um, and giving myself enough time frame. So I normally leave about a six to eight week leading period to just be highly specific to competing. Um, and so all the time I have before that is start to plan out what are the some of the things we have to work on now with Joanne she had a lot of experience with back pain in the past and so that was going to take priority over everything and so and the feedback I did get from her is that you know one of the first comps she had to she done you know quite pain-free um so I tried to increase back resilience and that was going to be the start and working off a lot of Andrew Locks and and Stuart McGill's work to try and address address her back issues and trying to build conditioning and actually got her to get some conventional deadlifting, which she actually, where she hurt her back in, but I know it was going to have such a good carryover to her lifting. So it was phasing, I guess, looking at building those, that back resilience. Then I knew she had to put, she had lost a lot of muscle. So the next part of that was to so add enough hypertrophy work to. If we can just pause on that note, yep. you say back resilience, right? So what, what is that like in, in the first phase? Are you getting her to deadlift? Are you avoiding deadlifts? Is it just like hyperextension, reverse hyper? What, what is the, the, the kind of plan there? Um, well, I, following off um, McGill's principles is, you know, I, I start with the basic isolation work, making sure that she's breathing correctly and, all the, and um, moving uh, correctly, her hips are moving. She's utilizing her feet properly so that we create the most stable platform possible. Then we start to introduce stability exercises. So I do a lot of renegade roads and and uh, um, kettlebell swings and all things that had to utilize, get her to utilize her hips better, create stiffness of the core. Um, then we start applying small amount of loads. So I got to do um, frame deadlifts. So then we started. Uh, what, what are frame deadlifts? So it's just like a farmer's walk, but instead yeah. of a farmer's walk, you just pick it up and down. So it's like a trap bar, but you start right. with a higher, higher grip. So it's just an in- introduction, so they can keep the spine quite in a neutral position and start to load the spine to start build muscle hypertrophy around the spine. Um, and then we bring it down to a trap bar deadlift and get a lot of a volume mm-hmm. through trap bar work. I find we can get a lot more. Uh, there's a I find there's a lot of benefit to doing trap bar and conventional. Um, hypertrophy work, I find is t- tends to build a lot of, again, a, lo- a lot of strength around the spine to protect it long term. Um, but her main lift, we, we still focused on uh, sumo, sumo deadlift um, for her competitive, for her competitive lift. But there's always a lot of carryover from doing trap bar work. And that was, that was kind of the stages we built to build that 
build that resilience. It's basically putting herself in a position that teaches her core stiffness, utilizing the hips properly and breathing properly and so on. Now, in terms of the actual programming, uh, with the programming, are you like undulating the reps? Are you using kind of like a shaker method or a west side or like how, how do you actually put those plans? Is it like intensification accumulation like where you're giving more volume one month versus more uh, intensity and, and ramping that up? It's the same thing, especially with these elite guys. It's that it more it depends on where where we're heading. Um, so all these methods are... I kind of, I guess you would have heard from Andrew Locke is that I use them all, they're all in my toolbox and they're various coaching methods in different phases. So all these phases I'll, I'll lay out. I, I, I use a, I use actually as an example, I probably use the strength and conditioning, condition, strength and conditioning approach um, where they have was it prep, preparatory phase and competitive phase. And then I use their sub phases um, like general specific, et cetera. And that kind of guides the direction I'm going to take with in terms of general athletic development compared to high specificity. So when I have those categories, I start to try and come up with my objectives for each phase. So what's going to be these underlying things, whether it's going to be, again, muscular hypertrophy, skill work, technique work, addressing back issues, creating more core stiffness. Um, so once I move through these phases, I, I'll create the objectives for each that are going to kind of layer on top of each other. And then I have to get more specific. So not everything's going to get addressed, but the core foundations are going to support her lifting the most. Um, we'll get her to her goal. And then once we finish that comp, again, then it's time to look at the next comp, and which gives me, it's not for a while now, so I've got a few more extra months to work with to try and, again, build these foundations again and create these uh, phases. So um, with all the intensification kind of, rep cycles and wave waves and stuff like that. Um, I'm more specific with that coming into the last eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks, where I kind of have a set plan where I accumulate as much volume as I, as I can tolerate or the maximal recoverable volume. And I usually just use a lot of biofeedback to yeah. try and get an idea where that is. And then as we come into eight to six weeks, six, six weeks out, it's now just about getting their nervous system ready to lift heavy. They've built all their strength. Now we just accumulate the intensity. Um, and that, that's different for everyone. So like I found females generally need a longer intense intensity phase where guys can get away with two or three, two or three weeks. I get away with about doing two or three weeks. Most of the girls, I got to go four to six weeks. Right. Out. And what, what challenge, were there any, would you, sorry, I want to cut you off. Yeah, so with Joanne, so just to get it right, she was, um, Eight months postpartum, and it was from that's when you had her to. So today, yeah, from today, it's I think it's 14, 14 yeah. months. So it would have been, yeah, like six months or something. Yeah, so she had her baby, and then six months, then she competed. Yeah, it's incredible. Wow. So we were just talking about this on the last podcast, Dad Bod Two Yes, and um, yeah, kind of like how guys will make excuses. Oh, I've got kids now; I don't have time mm. to train. She's gone less time than it took to make the baby <laughs> to <laughs> going into a. High level powerlifting comp. Yeah, I don't really. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, what what challenges? So one of the things that I suppose does come up sometimes is, you know, I'm, I'm squatting well, I'm I'm deadlifting well, and I'm I'm benching well. Let's say the technique, but the numbers just don't seem to come up. What I mean, this is it could be different for fa females and, and males, but what are the common reasons that you see why people get stuck at let's say a, a number? Let's say it's 
I don't know, 230 deadlift, right? They get stuck at that and they can't seem to, to overcome. What have you found? Well, again, it depends really on the individual again and why that's happening. I guess we say from a, what the most common thing is from, let's say from a female perspective, it's uh, headspace. Mm. It's their mentality, the way they approach the bar or they're more an anxious person. It's just trying to find that, I guess, mental sweet spot that, you know, keeps their negative thoughts out of mind and staying focused. Michelle's an excellent example of this is that she does really bad in training with her deadlifts, but does brilliantly on the, on the platform. And um, there's no, nothing questioning about how she trains or anything like that. I work on her mindset basically. And that's actually all we've been doing in the last um, probably like four to so six months. For her, Michelle, the biggest challenge was mindset? Yeah. Yeah. The way she, and, and, and that's trying to figure out. So I've done a bit of research on neuro-linguistic programming and started, I started breaking down, or I had to try and figure it out. So I had to try and figure out where those good days are and what is going on. And what worked out was that we needed less hype and that she would come into our gym and ask everyone come support her and then miss well, her numbers. Yeah. Um, so I said, headphones in, don't get anyone's help. Don't get my help. You know, even though normally I tell everyone to come get me, when you have this, it's like, just do it. And so I never got to see much of her lifting coming in, but she hit her numbers because she had zero pressure to do so. Yeah, so her sweet spot was to just reduce the pressure and reduce the Interesting you said for females, usually it's headspace. What, what have you found for males? Reason why they get stuck with numbers. Hmm. It's a tough one. There's a, there's a, can be a lot of reasons why. What are the top three? I guess. Well, I've got one lifter now who tends to give up in there, give up lifting. So this is where I guess a second skill aspect comes in, like you can be strong, but learning how to grind a lift is also different because you're overriding every natural instinct to protect yourself and stop lifting. And we have to teach them to push through that, push through those, push those barriers. And the instinct is strong. So in some people to just stop, um, because it feels, again, they're trying to protect themselves. So um, I go through a lot of mental talk. Because, so I guess it comes back, to, comes back to mentality again. Because everything else, everything else in terms of like technique and, and all that stuff, those are, yeah, a lot of underlying factors. But that's just normal. That's what I have to, have to do. But I guess where I hit ro big roadblocks, it's, a I think, a lot of mental, a lot of mental so game. You think uh, maybe programming for, and periodization and this kind of stuff is almost a little bit overstated in terms of the factor for not improving? In some cases, like you can't, you can, if you have the perfect program, um, but their lifestyle or other factors impede that, then you have to work with them with what their, what their capacity is. And that will come down to prioritizing the specific things that are going to either prepare them for a competition or get them ready for a competition. So Michelle's a truck driver and she hasn't had, she has 
all sorts of stupid hours where some nights you only get four night, four hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, and then some nights you'll get good sleep. So we had to be quite dynamic with the programming for her. So getting in what is important. And this is where I've also experimented with finding out what the minimum effective volume and intensity needed. And surprisingly, you can get away with very little like so, very, very little. How, how do you figure out the, like these these numbers, which you know, quite frankly, seem insane? Really, it's mm. like you know, you're going to squat uh, 240 kilos at 54 kilos, whatever it is, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, how, how? I mean, even for your own, like you've squatted what three three sixty, right? So, uh, you know, <laughs> how do you figure out when you're going to squat three sixty five or or three seventy? It's it's a combination of two things. Is um, so. I guess as a as a for me for me for me, um, and I guess for advanced clients is is looking at their experience. That that's one. The other aspect is I guess the art of coaching. Me seeing ten thousand squats in my life, knowing when they move a certain way, I get a bit of an idea about where they're heading, and then data, lots and lots of data, um, and I guess a lot of it has to be have to rely a lot of like there is. I guess a lot of subjective data because I have to watch their lift and give, give me an idea about how it's going and all their kind of biofeedback or um, um, what with this thing called autoregulation, which kind of use uh, kind of reps and reserve kind of methodology where you can kind of get a gauge about where they, where they are. I'm currently experimenting with velocity-based training to try and give me a bit more accurate, more objective so feedback. So velocity-based, just how fast the bar moves? Yeah, so um, Gym Aware have a have some good products where you attach a tether to a mm. barbell and you able to get their um, their velocity. And um, it's the same thing where actually a great analogy was that programming is like a it's like a map. You got point A to point B, and you can draw the best line to get there. Then when you get feedback, it's like radioing in. Like, so what's your position? And you get an idea where they are, then you adjust their position back to the map. And then after a while, check back in, kind of get the radio position. And then you kind of adjust to make sure that get, yeah. get from point A to point, point, a to point B. Um, what I'm starting to find with velocity-based training, and I, I heard this analogy on a podcast where um, it's more like a GPS system. I know where they are at all times within a, one square meter. Yeah, they can't radius. lie to you. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, I'm doing well. Okay, define well. Yeah. Because that person's well might be actually, well, well, he's sleep deprived or well, he's working around the clock. Whereas, mm. you know, when you've got that actual number of velocity, you know, you, you've actually gone into the red line now. We need to bring it back, mm-hmm. uh, get that recovery, get that rest on. And then now we can, as you said, GPS. That's, that's, I like that a lot. Mm. Uh, what I want to do now. Uh, for the uh, for the viewers is I want to take a quick break and I want to be back and what we're going to do is we're going to get Adrian under the bar and Gus is going to start tweaking him and we're going to continue this conversation it's going to be a bit of a dynamic podcast and hopefully get Adrian up to uh, a 280 kilo squat or thereabouts yeah not really but anyway we'll see you after this quick break I hope you're enjoying this episode of The Wolf's Den brought to you by our good friends at 
personaltrainermentoring.com. So if you're a personal trainer looking to level up your business and career, head over to personaltrainermentoring.com. They have a free $500 gift pack ready and waiting for you, a digital gift pack that contains a free course all about how to screen and assess your clients. The course is over two hours long, gives you the ins and outs of screening and assessment and also included in the pack are three eBooks all on how to make more sales, get more clients and basically get better results. So if you're a trainer, head over now, personaltrainermentoring.com, leave your details and get on the fast track to success. Welcome back to The Wolf's Den. We are with Gus Cook, powerlifting coach to some of the strongest people in Australia. So he's gonna be taking Adrian. We're gonna see what Adrian can do with his squat today, maybe even get a one rep max. All right, Gus, I'll let you take it away. What's the first steps? Um, well, basically the first step is to just see how the individual moves. Um, I'll start with a bodyweight squat and then get him under the bar. So let's start with a, just a bodyweight squat. Now, generally what I'm looking for is I don't really give anything back first. I kind of just, assess and see what's, what's happening and then start look at some of the major things that may impact his lifting um, so that we can be very efficient with the teaching. Anything of obvious? I mean, Adrian, the body weight, so for those obviously listening to this on podcast, it looks to me a pretty good body weight squat. He's pushing his head down a little bit as he d does it. Uh, hips are coming out nicely. Knees are freely over the toes. Uh, feet look like they're yeah, moderate. Well, what are you seeing in your eyes? Are you seeing anything that I'm not? No, it looks, it looks actually look, looks really good. Um, so I guess you know, with the next step we take, actually sometimes I will get them to change their foot position to see, I guess, their hip, um, their hip mobility. So get you to point your toes straight forward. So Adrian's toes were pointed out. Now we're just getting him, I'm just saying this for the audio. Uh, now his toes right, so are look. almost dead straight. And from doing that, he's, it looks a little bit tighter. Uh, everything looks a little bit more, which, I don't know, Gus, is that what you're after? Do you want him to be a bit tighter like this, or would you prefer Yeah, so it's just a bit of an assessment of, assessment of the hip. Um, you can see it does struggle to get more, um, uh, more down to depth. There's a little bit of a, little bit of a powerful tool, but not, not, much, not yeah. much, and it's not something that's unsafe. Um, so um, I'll compare to the barbell, so let's get under the, under the barbell and see how that looks. So Adrian's just going to warm up now with uh, just the bar. We are using Aleco bars. Shout out to Aleco, our unofficial sponsor of the show. They don't know it yet, but they're going to pay us some big bucks soon to be a sponsor. They're probably not, but anyway. Okay, rack. So you can now you can start to tell he definitely squats in in squat shoes. Um, you start seeing his feet starting to rotate out. We're just going to try a couple of things. Let's try a wider stance. So when Adrian did that first squat, his feet were rotating all over the shop. So Gus already so we're not very not, yeah, we're not don't have quite a stable platform to work off. So I always like to work from the feet up. Here he goes with his squat. It's nice and tight. What are we seeing here, Gus? So now I'm looking at like, now we've got the foot and it, it, looks, it looks a lot more stable. I get a little bit of an internal rotation of the, of the knee, but it doesn't seem to be overly bad. And it's only on one side. So it could have one, one weakness on, on, a, on, his, on his right glute. He looks which, very like he's struggling a lot just to hit that with this stance. He, yeah, he is. So we've got a little bit of 
a little bit of little bit of hip stiffness, but not something that I would probably want to jump in straight or jump in straight away. Um, I would want to add some load first and get keep getting more inf keep getting more information. Yeah. And this really is just a, a squat, or this technique is to just a powerlifting squat, you know, uh, to be able to handle as much load yeah, as possible. Right. So in, in this instance, like I think wider stance would suit him, especially if he's going to squat and. Um, and bare, uh, well, just, bare just, feet. Uh, with, yeah, with bare feet, um, as he, you know, again, this rotation doesn't yeah. seem to fit your hip mobility, but then now it's exposing one weakness on the, on the right side yeah. here, which may be a problem when we put some weight on, but it, it's best, again, get more information. Um, so let's put on a little bit of weight. Yeah. Uh, you want blues yeah, or blues? Blues. blues. Putting some blues on. Alrighty, get the pink. We've got the pink, what's it called, uh, clips to match Adrian's purse that he carries around with him. 60 kilos on the bar. I'm gonna do another squat assessment with a little bit of weight. Before we just went to the bar itself, the bar was 20 kilos. Now doing an assessment with 60 kilos. Let's go there, yep, that works. Feet side. are fairly neutral. Feet are neutral. Feet, as soon as he moves, his toes turn out. Uh, Gus, his head right, keeps rack. pointing down. Do you have a problem with his head position? Um, it, really, it really depends. I find head position helps with tightness of the, tightness of the erectors. If it's not pulling the center of gravity, uh, center of mass forward, then I find it's okay. Because people tend to fall where they're looking. Um, if yeah, overall, the best position, I guess we say what the best scenario is, is having a neutral neutral position so that when the, if you move your torso in a way, your head should move with it. But again, some people find it more comfortable looking forward and if it doesn't impede their lifting, I leave it. Yeah, right. um, I will experiment to try and get them to do it, push up. If you find that they're again, falling more forward than usual, I'll get them to lift their head a little bit higher and that really gets the erectors uh, really trying to create a little bit more stiffness. Um, so now what I can start seeing with a little bit of weight on there, we got a bit of, losing a bit of trunk stiffness and that's also causing some of the um, tilt of the pelvis. Yeah. So if, from here I would want to have a, have a check of basically how... So Gus is just putting his hand on, just if you want to talk us through what you're doing. Um, so I generally just feel like putting my hand on their obliques and now when I just get them to breathe and I won't let them know what I'm doing yet. So just take a big deep breath in, as deep as you can, and then breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, now as deep as you can. Okay, there we go, we got it. And breathe out. So basically I check if they first utilize in the diaphragm to, to breathe. Um, it's one part of the equation that helps maximize intra-abdominal pressure by reducing the um, abdominal cavity size. And you can generally feel that, that when they take a breath in, you get a slight expansion of the, slight expansion of the obliques. So it kind of confirms that um, uh, he, he is doing it. It could be better, mm. definitely could be better. So, um, to try and, try and prove it, I'm going to get you to take a deep breath in through the nose, but this time I want you to imagine from the bottom of your stomach to the top that you're filling a barrel of water that fills up through here. And you'll, feel the stomach, you'll feel the stomach expand. Just Gus is putting his uh, hand right into to Adrian's stomach feeling how he's breathing and seeing if his uh, obliques are basically getting stiff as he, as he does it. I'm going to jab him as well because I want to jab him. Just no, I just want to jab him. <laughs> so now this time you're going to take a deep breath in the same way and then you're going to brace like someone's going to punch in the guts. 
So there we go. So breathe in, leave that air in. So take a deep breath in first and then brace. Hold the air in. Good, relax. One more time. Deep breath in, brace. Good. So this is definitely going to be a lot more tighter because generally what people do is they turn the focus on building tightness around here, but they forget to build pressure through the, mm. through the lower back. So there is a, a couple of exercises. We'll do one, we'll just do it here. So sit lay on your back. So this is the, one of the first things to do is teach people how to breathe and yeah, it's get definitely very core. Definitely very fundamental. Um, so I'll get, you to bend your, I'll get you to bend your knees. So it's like the 90-90 breathing method. Normally you can put your feet up a little bit high, but this works, um, works fine. So I, I slide my hand under their, under their back. And when I tell them to do the same thing, so take a deep breath in, and then this time when you brace, try and stop my hand from sliding under. So my hand can easily slide under, so you're not bracing quite hard enough. So let's do that again. Deep breath in. Now brace, brace, oh, yeah. brace, brace, brace. Good. So now this creates 360 degree of pressure. You know, when you people try to brace through the stomach, it's like a, it's like a squeeze in a balloon, like that way and it expands outwards through the stomach, which then causes, um, causes you to extend the spine and the squat. So we want to kind of align the ribs and pelvis in a way with this technique to get them to feel that we create this equal force right around. So that we create pressure through the lumbar, as, also, as, also, as well as through um, the abdominal wall, um, through the abdominal wall. So now we have this. And also by song. doing that, you're pulling the ribs down and yes. not allowing for over hyper ex or extension, thoracic extension as well. Exactly. So now we it's kind of hitting multiple things. Yeah. So stand up. Because then you don't even have to cue ribs down because, or you know, people overflare the chest often on a squat and they're kind of up here. Yeah. You're, and that obviously is the opposite of when you want to brace. But you're doing this anyway because you're bracing. Yeah. So yeah. I guess it'll be the more that'll be the more fundamental way to approach the, um, the extension is to address the is to address the breathing and the and the bracing around here. Um, then you could down the track use the ribs down. So I, I still use it yeah. as well. So, but that was also just a I guess a mental cure, a reminder to bring yourself back into that position. So when we come back to squatting. It's sometimes easy to achieve this laying down, but it gets a little bit harder when they stand up because they go back to their old, go back to their old methods. So if they take a breath in, I want you to try and brace against my hand a lot more. A little bit hard, so start again. Remember, ribs down, drive through here. Deep breath in, brace. Good. So you can use, normally use a dowel as well, so I can kind of put my fist against there, so I've got something to mm. brace against. Now, if you're listening to this on, uh, on YouTube, if you're listening to this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on iTunes, do take a time to check out our YouTube video of this, because um, I think you'll get a lot more out of the visual explanation of this. This is quite fundamental cue, so make sure you check us out on YouTube at Enterprise Fitness, and remember to subscribe. Cool. Um, so, let's... Get back, okay, actually one point to also remember, once we've achieved this through the braces, this is what you'll do when you're from the start. Yep. So you'll take a breath in and then brace. Now remember, it all moves as one. Mm -hmm. So instead of your hips moving back and your chest staying up, everything from the hips up moves as one, as well as your head, as well as your chest. Yep. Okay, so let's get back under the bar. Moving as one. Adrian under the bar, 60 kilos again. And have an assessment of his squat. Video man can get in. So, big breath in through the lower back. Gus is making sure that he's Brace, breathing and hips, bracing correct. Move, move and your torso forward. Oh, nice. 
Good. Effortless. And even on the way up, still hold it down. Brace, 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 all the way through. Mm. Good. The only thing we've really fixed here is his brace and already looks so much faster and more effortless. A lot less move, unneeded movements. Right, rack. Now we've got some of the fundamental stuff. You can see that the head position does play a role in the way you move yeah. forward just a little bit as you start to ascend from the squat. So I would suggest, yeah, keeping your head in a neutral, in a more neutral position. So let's load a bit of weight and what are you guys going to jump to? Oh, you guys make the, the changes as I commentate. Are you, Where are we jumping to? Are you okay with another 20? Yep. Are we going to put about 20? Not, not 20, Adrian. Not a green. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are we putting a belt on him? Sleeves? No, let's keep it, let's keep it all off. So, again, when, ass when assessing, kind of wanted to be as much of you as possible so that we can start to use these other aids. I don't mind wrist straps and stuff. Like that's just more protective of the joint. Yeah. Um, everything else should aid, um, should aid your lifting, not be a reliance yeah. on it. So if you start to see breakdown, then let's try and address, you know, the intra-abdominal pressure losses or anything like that, rather than just relying on a belt. And Adrian, um, how do you find that breathing technique different to what you've done in the past? Yes, smoother. Um, it felt light. Probably just really thinking of everything moving as one. Mm -hmm. That was probably a big difference as well. Have you ever used any breathing methods like that? Or? Yeah, yeah, I have. I you have? have? Yeah. yeah, but not at the lighter weights necessarily. You, you usually use it at a heavier weight? So what's no, the more so at a heavier weight. Right. Yeah. Right. It's probably, um, yeah, more when focusing on strength training. Um, in the past, I'll be focusing on breathing and bracing. But at what I've been training is more high volume, so you're kind of breathing through the sets. Yes. So this wasn't so much different, but just a reminder of Just a reminder of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Good. Yes, when, I, when I'm teaching it, I teach that version yeah. first, yeah. master that yeah. before learning to be more dynamic with it. Mm. Yeah. So, all right, let's have a look. 100 kilos, how many reps? Um, let's go for five. Five. Five reps. Nice and tight under the bar. So remember that wider stance I want you to take? So Good, keep your head up, one, keep your head up. Two. Five, that's five reps, 100 kilos. Adrian wrapped it in. What are we seeing here, guys? Oh, so, so, still seeing that. You can see him. So now I started looking more of at his feet again. Again, I, I always try and, like you see a lot of other things, but they always want to come down to the most fundamental parts. Again, like I said, the breathing, um, the feet, uh, as they seem to control, they control the majority of what the body does. Um, so we're getting now, I can see the heels starting to raise. So we're getting a lot of, the toes are doing a lot of the work to try and stabilize. Yeah. So you're going to be a little bit better. The wider stance is going to help you, which is why I got you there to try and drive those hips further back. So I use a cue called a tripod foot, and that try to imagine that three points of your foot um, here, under your little toe and your heel. So Gus just pointed to yeah, the bottom of the big toe, bottom of the little toe, but not the actual toe. Not the toe, the, the heel. The heel of the yeah. toe, yeah. 
and that those three points have to maintain a kind of a symmetrical balance between all three. So you're getting a lot coming through the front two. And if they load a bit more, then we start to get scrunchies of the toes, which we should actually see them a lot more relaxed, but your foot being more active rather than the toes yeah. trying to scrunch. So you don't really like the, um, you know, the old T-Rex claw the ground and twist. That is, that's, that's something that you would work on top of the tripod foot. So um, each, three, each three points create stability first and maintain center of mass. The, the claw and twist helps with external rotation, external rotational torque. So that starts to help activate the glutes a lot more as well. But the fundamental part is that we've got to get the stability of the foot right in the Let's balance. Let's just say, can you, do a, can you claw the ground with your feet? So like a, a T-Rex? So like really claw with your big toe in. So is that, see how his, his big toe's in, is so that the problem with the, counterintuitive? Problem, the problem with the big toe doing this, so the, the, the claw has to be imagined that it comes from the ankle to the heel, not the toe. Right. So when we push down on the toe too much, that one, yes, it either starts to get leaning forward or it elevates this part. So then we end up getting yeah. supination of the foot. Yes, supination exactly. of the foot. So we don't want an overly supination of the foot, we want that heel of the big toe planted into the ground. Yes. yes. Um, the toes should be relaxed and spread to take as much surface area as possible and that the contraction of the foot or the, the grabbing of the foot is only driven through here. And what you would see... The heel of the big toe. Yeah. Mm. So what you would see is actually the same muscles activate if you were trying to activate your tibia. All right, you'll see a bit of contraction through here. This will drive down and the heel, um, the arch of the heel would uh, start to contract upward. There's a, you can usually use a bit of a bit of feedback. You can put like a rubber band under that, under that part and get him, and I can start pulling on it a little bit while he's squatting. And that gives a bit of feedback about what he should be doing. But essentially what we're trying to achieve here with your squat is that we're gonna try and maintain those three points mm -hmm. and to change the center of mass to try and accommodate, to put more weight through the back of your heels is that we're gonna focus more on the Greater hip dom, more hip, hip dominant squat. Yeah, have you ever used any like a toe separator? No, I haven't used. No. Have used that no. Um, so let's let's try this with a body weight squat. Adrian uses them all the time Just when he, uh, he does what are, what, are, what are they? What are they? Oh, they're little um, like use toe the separators. Yeah, little foam blocks. They paint your nails, literally. But you can use them because I got a tip from a chiropractor. You put little like wedges in between your toes mm. um, and use them as toe separators. And obviously, chiros are, are big on it to make sure there's more function of the actual foot and how the toes are. That's interesting. Away. So yeah, you can get it from like chemist um, toe separator. Put them in your in your shoes. No one can see it. As I said, Adrian has a whole stack of them at home when he does his nails. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to try and have a, more of a hip dominant squat. Let's do it with a body weight squat yeah. first. So let's, let's take that, that wider stance. Now, it's, it's going to feel like your torso is going to come forward a little bit more, yeah. but I want you to imagine like someone's got like a rope, rope around your hips and that someone's pulling those, those hips back as mm -hmm. you lean forward. And at the same time, someone is pulling a rope over your toes. Yeah. But we're going to put more focus on that. The hips are going to constantly try to sit back mm -hmm. and then you'll maintain the balance by trying to get your knees yeah. over your toes. So... Lean forward, hips back. Good, up. He looks very tight when he's doing this. Good, and again. It doesn't look effortless. He's coming to focus, and his head still comes down when he does Good. it. up. So let's focus on those three points now, that we're maintaining balance through those three points and pushing through those three points. Good. Okay, let's get under the bar. I might take it back down to 16 and build it back up. 
So when he was doing that, uh, his big toe was coming up. That's not ideal, hey? No, no, but essentially, he's still achieving what we're trying to, yeah. trying to address. But mastery would be the toe would be down as well. Yes. Yeah. So he's got some work to do. So we're back at 60 kilos. Gonna practice that uh, from the feet. This is what you mean by working the lift from the ground up. Mm -hmm. So 60 kilos, five reps. Off we go, Adrian. Okay, let yourself lean forward, hips back, knees over toes. Push through those three points. Good. Imagine loading that back heel more. Good, push. Big breath in, brace. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. Push through. All right, rack. How's that, how's that feel? How different does it feel? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, um, it feels, yeah, more like, yeah, like I'm sitting back. Like I'm really does it feel weaker at this point in time or? No, no, it, feels, it still feels solid. Like, yeah, just having to brace and focus a lot more mm. as well. So I think we can work with this, yeah. te this technique so far. Yeah. There's still a couple of little things, but we'll just keep reminding them the current cues we're working on so far and uh, see where we can get to. Some weight. So we're putting on back to yeah. 100? Yeah, let's go up to 100. Awesome, awesome. Now Gus, um, you were saying before about RPE and RIR and this kind of stuff. I just want to talk us through, like you're saying that's kind of base knowledge. Firstly, for the, for the purpose of this podcast, what are RPE and RIR? So it's a rate of perceived exertion of, or in other terms, like auto-regulation, where you can get to start getting a bit of feedback about the intensity behind what performance they're at, the, um, the athlete is um, putting out. Um, this tries to give me an idea, basically, trying to convert those numbers into a, a percentage. I have a bit of a, a, bit of a chart um, where you can correlate the amount of reps they did, their RP or reps and reserve feedback, and it gives you an idea about what we call uh, a peaking index. So this peaking index is a bit of information on their readiness of themselves or their nervous system or where they should be in their training, whether we can go heavy or not. But not everyone is good at it and some people can't feel their reps in reserve. So there's various methods where we can just say, give me a, you know, give me pushing the limit, hard, challenging, moderate, easy. And then I have to extrapolate kind of what that, that might turn into in terms of a peaking index. I find the more reliable way is to pair that with a video because my eyes are a bit better than what they can feel. And that's just again, from years and years of experience. So I get everyone to film all their work as well. Um, but the more now accurate way, which I'm experimenting with now, is the velocity-based yeah. velocity based training, which is purely objective, yeah. purely objective. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah. Which how, much, is, how much were one of those devices set you back? Oh, two and a half grand. Yeah, yeah they're not cheap. So, yeah, but worth it if you want to oh, pursue to the elite. Yeah, I think it's definitely. So that's more your GPP phase. You're focusing on RPE. Then when you're going, saying going to your specific and uh, kind of intensification phase. Mm -hmm. So leading into comp, is that when you go percentage based? I use both. Okay. So yeah. I go with both percentage based and RPE based at the same time. But the focus is on the percentages, and then the RPE gives them intensity that should be kind of should be feeling. Yep. Gives me a rate of gives me an idea of their recovery yep. and how they're pro progressing session to session, whether it's declining right. or increasing. If it's increasing, then it's yep. like okay, well, we've got more room to improve. Yep. So generally, you should know have an idea about where that RPE is, yep. uh, where it should be. So by the time we get to testing round, we're actually 
a lot closer to what their actual potential is yeah. um, rather than, because if you go percentage base and they improve better, well, then you're kind of missing, missing that potential out that you can't really, really test. Yeah. Um, the more advanced they get, you can get away with more, I guess, just purely percentage base, but I still will add it. And it really depends on the method you're using. If I'm using a Russian, kind of a Russian method, I don't need as much, I guess, adjustment, constant adjustment. Um, but I, I have a tendency to find that those programs are, style of program is pretty hard on the athlete mm. as well. Um, but it works on sub-maximal numbers that they can get for huge amounts of volume. They'll never miss a number, but it's just a lot of work. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Adrian, are you back under the bar? Let's do it. 100 kilos this time, work back up. So remember, we're taking that wider stance. Again, remember breathing through here and through the lower back. Deep breath in, hips come back. You lean forward. Good, brace those abs right through. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. Push through, push through, push through. Good, keep your head up, brace. Push. Rack. Looked a lot more effortless than the last 100. Those little cues, how'd you go? Want to grab that? Yeah, good. That's, um, it's a bigger focus on kind of, yeah, the, I'd say the most exhausting thing is holding the tension yeah. and bracing the entire time at the moment. So it's more focusing on those uh, technical points that's exhausting. Well, it's just a waste, it's, yeah. it's a waste of energy if you have anything yeah. loose, in the, yeah. loose in the body. I mean, that's where energy will dissipate. Yeah. So. You have to really direct it to the barbell. It's almost like the, um, the, the more high level you are, the less wasted movements yeah. there are. Yeah, every part of every joint has to be assessed. So it's like the weight feels lighter, but it's harder. Like yes, yeah. wait, sorry, grab that so you... So the weight feels lighter, but it's harder. So the actual coming out is easier, but yeah. it's, you've got to hold that tension there. Yes, I, I do say that to clients quite often, is yeah. that, you know, weights... Weights don't get heavier, you get better, yeah. basically, or you know, you're gonna hold tension, so. I was always there, like that principle is like, kind of like bodybuilding style training, it's like, we're going for maximum tension in the muscle. Like, you know I mean? You can do 12 reps and not feel a thing, or do five reps yes. and the whole thing's screaming. That's where the difference comes from. Yeah, same thing same here, thing here. We, we, we're bracing. It's like keeping tension, not to waste energy, to work on the skill, to be able to push more kind of thing. Yes, so cool. where to from here? Bit more weight. What's, what's a bit more weight? What are we going to go? You're, on your, you're happy with another 10 yeah. on each side? So, from the start to the to now, basically the biggest thing that's being changed for Adrian is if I'm, if I'm seeing this right and assessing it right, the biggest thing you've changed is actually his feet mm -hmm. and where he drives the motion from. Before he was driving the motion kind of in a general plane of, you know, things weren't working in unison, his knees would pop forward, then his hips and his feet really weren't, um, he wasn't thinking about his feet, whereas now what he just did then was the first thing, his ribs down, he's braced, he comes out, hips and knees are moving at the same time, mm. he's externally rotating from the hips and he's bracing, Is that? and his feet are glued down as well. So mm. there's a few things that you've changed, but I suppose the key things for the viewers at home is you actually started from the feet, get the feet working, and then probably the biggest thing that I noticed was knees and hips moving at the same time. Is that mm -hmm. fair? Yes, yeah. yes, and it's always best to address the fundamental before addressing like the knee, 
not not just in the yeah. side of the problem. It's it's just trying to look at fundamentally where that yeah. where that's been caused. So need coming in, but it could be my heel that's collapsed, or my arch that's collapsed. Exactly. It's always so the the fundamental cause. Hips yeah. are the second. Yeah. You know, so it's dressing that first, and then we can use even then still going. We can use a bit of mental cueing yeah. to even position it even better. Yeah. So the thing I'm finding tricky is the. Um, I'm used to clawing as well, so yeah. I've been scrunching too much, getting that, just trying to re-cue and get that, that knuckle into the ground and rotate out. Yeah, and you want to get, you want to get this right, that bit right first, then you can add on that yeah. down the track. But I find getting the stability and balance between yeah. those three points yeah. is more effective first. You probably tell from the use of the lifting shoes, that's where I'm forcing, trying to force my weight forward as well. That's yeah, and that's to maintain weight. your style of yeah. squatting, yeah. very a lot more quad so dominant. Force that. Yeah, Into, so um, yeah. this position is anatomically more favourable yes. for yeah. you without shoes. Yeah. So the shoes were just kind of something to allow you to be the squat the way you wanted yeah. to squat. This way, this way works a little bit better with yeah. your Feels anatomy. much more comfortable in the hips as well. It's mm. good. Yeah. I stop wearing high heels now as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this set number, well, we're doing some, if this is a working set, this is probably the second working set. 120 kilo, what are we doing, three reps? Yep, let's go for triple. Three reps. Under he goes, steps out. Good, remember those three points, deep breath in, through here. Good, really drive through those points, maintain those three points, and then push through the earth. Push, push, push. push. Good. Right, Head up, brace right through in, here, right brace right through in. here, brace. Bracing. Squeeze it tight, squeeze it tight, squeeze it tight. Push, hold yeah, the tightness, up, hold up, the tightness, up, hold up. the tightness. Push through. Good. Good. Three reps, 120. It, was, it started to be a little bit of a grind. Mm. A little bit. So I was just, I was going to say something before about it's this chasing, it's like pushing them to as far optimal as possible. And generally when I come to competition, I'll start pulling more to a functional position what's going to be functional for competition. So you may be a quad dominant squatter, and that may be always so, but optimal will always improve your fun functionality, yeah. but functional functionality won't train, train the optimal position. So I always work back towards what's anatomically more optimal before coming back to more, again, what's functioning and make you stronger. When you look at it in the lens of what's optimal, what's basically what's optimal for handling, handling the most weight possible. Most weight possible, that creates the most amount of tension, stiffness, the reduced range of motion, least amount of energy expended, um, and the most end range of all atomical positions. Um, so. so with that said, would you get Adrian actually wider? Would you get him in? And again, it depends if we get breakdown. So we could go wider. If we get too much breakdown, then we either can A, address an underlying issue, if that doesn't address it straight away, we still got to get him actually physically squatting. So then we might just bring him in a stance where he's able to maintain these principles. Now, if we were to then go back up to, when we start to comp prep, we got to get to something what's actually the most strongest rather than optimal. So you're kind of working within, within that range when I'm changing, playing around with people's technique. And then we start to find our sweet spot over, over time. Right. So. so where to from here is that? Is that a day for Adrian, or are we going to go a little bit heavier? Well, it's a little bit what you want to, if you want to try something a little bit. Yeah. Maybe a sink, maybe a single. Yeah, we'll go single. Double. Single. So we've got 120 now, we just did, uh, <laughs> we did 120, we did, we did three reps on 120. What, what are we jumping to now? 140. 140. So we're taking the greens off, <laughs> we're putting the big glue fella on. 
Adrian's going to do a single at 140. No sleeves, no shoes, no belts. Uh, excellent. Whack that on. And resting, what, three, five minutes? Yeah, yeah, let's give a little bit, a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't drop it on me. I tore my, I tore my pack. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, let's yeah, let's sure. talk about it. You tore your pack, so you competed recently. Yes. And um, how'd you go, first of all? Uh, not not as well, not as well as I had planned. Um, I wasn't as confident. I'd been out for, out of it for two years. Got into a car accident early in the year, which I was prepping for pro raw, and so it just kept putting me out longer and longer. Um, what were your biggest challenges coming back from the car accident? Um, I guess well, all of it was stress. It really turned, it was a really stressful time. Um, so I got, I got hit by a truck at, at a red light. Got them, um, and I woke up in hospital. Apparently I stopped breathing on the scene. They cut me out of the car, had to resuscitate me. And I woke up with amnesia wow. in the hospital. And um, with a lot of my, like a lot of my admin staff on, on leave, um, there was no one really to operate the business. And then at the same time, we got hit with an eviction notice. Um, so it was a, I think the biggest thing was more managing my life, managing my stress to be able to put a prep together. So it's been a very, very tough year. Had a few coaches come on and off, which really throw the balance off. But um, after I came out from holiday, I said, I need to focus on my training. So it's the one thing that keeps me, yeah. I guess, it's what I love to do. And, um, um, so I managed to put the prep together. It wasn't the most optimal prep, so I didn't feel super confident with the technique. Um, especially at that level, everything's got to be, my score has to be Yeah, has to be you're perfect. squatting 360 kilos. You don't want it to yeah. be yeah, ideal. So after some comparison, you know, I wasn't able to hit, I actually wasn't able to hit depth in my squat, what I've liked. And so, um, which means I bombed out. So I want all three lifts. And it's, it's the worst performance I've ever had. But I learned, I've learned a lot from it um, in terms of how I need to prep and all this stuff. And it was just hard to get a really good prep, to get a lot of skill work in it. It was like I was strong, but I wasn't proficient. Mm -hmm. Strong is um, something we weren't ready. My body was strong, yeah. but my technique wasn't, my skill wasn't there. So I still ended up with like a 350 squat, um, 215 bench, and uh, I finished on 280 deadlift. Um, I hit 310. What's your best deadlift? 310? 305. 305. I went 310 um, and just slipped out of my hand at lockout. So, and, and the you, grip has been a big problem. And you tore your pec. How'd you tear your pec? You tore it benching. Uh, yeah, benching. So, on the, when, so the Wednesday after the, after the comp, I was actually um, redoing my velocity profile, um, which um, with velocity-based training is uh, tracking, I guess, your intensity of your lift to the velocity, and you're able to draw a linear line to be able to drain a formula of what's going to work for that specific lift to work in the optimal training zones. Um, so it's another solution to percentage-based training. I was, so I was graphing, graphing my new, getting my data points, and I only had one more data point to complete, to, complete the, to complete the linear line, and I tore my pack on that one. So I was under a 190 bench, and coming down here, I had a little bit of cramping for the last month coming in my pack, but this time it decided to cramp and then continue to cramp, and then I could feel it going, tearing down here. Did you have a, have a spot, obviously, or no? No, I was doing I was feeling really strong. Yeah. I was still feeling really strong. It's like, it was oh. just the cramping that got you? It just, just, started to cr just started to cramp, but then the cramp turned, I felt it turn into a tear. So it cramped, and then cramped really hard, mm. and then I felt it just come through there, and then I ended up dropping the weight just behind my head, onto the, wow. onto, Jeez, onto the, onto the, 
yeah, onto the face savers. Yeah, saving my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we can we get a just cameraman? Can we get a like a, a look at that pick? Are you able to show us what a, what a tear looks like? It's always a, an impressive sight. Looking at uh, so you get the bruising straight away. It really does bruise up bad, eh? And what, what, what's the, like, you've got it, like, through there, you said it was a 40 centimetre or whatever? Yeah, so 50 centimetres long, 40 millimetres deep, and also tore the tendon. Wow. That's the information there as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's from working the weekend. Yeah. So. And um, also, the master psychologist that you are, uh, you didn't tell. So, I refrain from posting anything about it or even because I was wearing a sling as well I, I just refused to I was wearing it when they went when my girls went around but I didn't want to freak out uh, my competitors because it's all about them focusing on the day and I didn't want them to think that my handling was going to be impeded um, so I didn't say anything about it one of the girls got wind of it um, and I just tried to play it off as uh, just grade one just a little tad will be here in a couple of weeks it's mm -hmm. fine so um, it's actually yeah. quite, quite severe, this one. Eh? Yeah, it's quite bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, especially when a tendon yeah, yeah. wants to tear, so. Yeah. Um, that kind of shows you the, like, the, the mastery of coaching there. Like, you play into every aspect. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. so much involved. Yeah. Right. we get Adrian out of the bath? Yeah, Come let's on. do it. That should be fun. 140 for a single. Keep it tight and stick with it, okay? Right, so let's focus on that tension. Deep breath in through the hips, take your time, load those three points and keep pushing. Now push, 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 push. Good. Rack. Well done, Adrian. How was that? Yeah, it was heavy. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. What did you say? Oh, you really it was really, well, I was super busy trying to make sure yeah. it doesn't hurt himself. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, it looks smooth, like from, from the top. No head movement, no shoulder movement coming forward. Yeah. Held your tightness right through. So, good base to work on. I know it always feels harder when people first do it yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just another, just practice. Yeah. And yeah. it will start to feel a lot more natural. Yeah. Especially the, that amount of tension. It's actually pretty adapted to it pretty quick. People adapt to it pretty quick. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, heavier or what are you calling that? What's... Uh, I think it's up to you now. Do you want to a little bit more? Ooh, what do we think? What's that, 140? What do you reckon he's max? What do you reckon he's estimated max with no belt, no sleeves? Oh, with, with that, he's definitely got a... He's got a 160 there. Yeah, it felt, I can see that to you, it felt hard, yeah. but it was smooth. Yeah. There wasn't, wasn't any so, breakdown. And it's just, okay. just like I was saying, we'll just stick with it. So, stick yeah. with the technique. Yeah. Don't, try like and, don't try and find an easy way to get up because yeah. any other way is not easier. Yeah. Every other way makes it harder. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to definitely use that cue point. Like stick with it because you're locked in. Sometimes you're at the bottom. It's like, oh, I could probably force a bit more tension through that side. Mm. And that's when it starts to go all pear-shaped. Yeah, exactly. Got to trust the technique. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah. And so, this is what we do, so it's like, in, in, in programming, it's just repetitiveness when it comes to in those last four to six weeks of just, just learning how to compete. And I mean, it's actually to a level where we actually um, sit down with the individual at their seats and the person that's going to wrap is wrapping, the person that's going to get them ready for the bar is the one doing it. Yeah. We have the soft suits on, we're chalking them exactly the same, we use yeah. the same equipment, same bar, we find out what bar they're using there, we make sure we have that bar on the monolift. Um, we're practicing the warm-up routine, so like what kind of jumps they're going to take, learning to, um, and again, practicing a lot of singles, especially when we're coming closer, because that's what we're training for. So, 
mental preparation as well as physical. Yeah, it's, it's like a big making it real. Yeah, not yeah. as it's, it's, it's a big, big mental aspect of it when with with training as well. Yes, yes, there's carry the physiological adaptations and the skill adaptation to it, but it is um, people forget how much of just a mental game and a skill skill based uh, strength training is. All the strength is gained basically all in the past and in those last preparations it's all about just getting their body and mind ready. Right. Mm. So with these jumps now if we want to go to heavier we go 150, 160 or you just go straight 160? Go yeah, on 150 and try 150. Yeah let's go 150. Okay. And what are, what are some of the, uh, the go-to programs like, that you find yourself, like you mentioned before, that you, you utilise the Russian methods uh, frequently. What, what Are there other methods that you utilise? Well, it's one of those, again, like I said, having a toolbox. And so it's normally a hybrid between a few. Um, I find aspects of different areas apply well to different, different people and to elicit different responses. Um, I always found it a bit of an art form until actually I came across a bit of information from um, Christian Thibodeau and I know Charles Pollock and I did a bit of work on it too with personality profiling. Yes. But I also have found there's a, quite a strong, strong carryover to um, strength-based training and their nervous system potential and how they're able to peak and how they're able to um, deload and what kind of volume they can handle. So I've adapted their methods because it kind of explained a lot of the things which I couldn't really explain, which only seemed to be from my years and years of experience with lifting. Um, and it kind of explained some of the things I was seeing. And so like, how can I see this more? And the good thing about having a, a specific powerlifting team, which are only athletes on my team who actually compete. So there's only people who train at my gym. I'm able to run kind of experiments, large scale experiments. So I started, I started with the d different types of profiling and put them in categories and I did this for the last comp and I was, some of my ideas, which some of my thoughts, what I thought would work for specific prof profiling types, worked to treat. Like mm. I was able to very accurately predict. So you're using like the Braverman test, the way he suggests or? Yeah, Bra Braverman, Braverman test is when I got them all to do, all to do that. Um, um, but I still, I still group them to big parts. So yes, I put them into category 2A and 2B and all this stuff. But I put two all together and ones all together. I didn't worry about three because we don't, I don't see any th type three. Um, the more you gabber. Um, gabber yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't see many of them doing, doing powerlifting. doing yoga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stretching, um, breathing. Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Yeah, so type one and type two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and uh, um, dopamine. Dopamine, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, had a strong relationship, was able to know when, how, what kind of training to do, what kind of reps to work with. They do, type ones do well with very low reps. They don't need as much volume. They can peak about, I say th about three weeks out and still hold their peak right through the comp where type two had to hit their biggest numbers closer to the comp as part of, part of a, um, their psychology. Number two, um, um, they detrain very quickly as well. So I find that they lose their peak a lot faster. Mm -hmm. 
And I could see the discrepancy beforehand and other programming methods I use on a large scale where you'd find this category of types of people not quite fitting into this. So I, I, sometimes I program individually. If I think I can program as a team, I'll put them in a team and run a series of programs together. Yeah. So it depends on how we're going to implement the training because I find training as a team far more effective in terms of producing a superior result over just individual, individual coaching. But individual coaching is, is very much needed at the start of, athletes, of an athlete's journey um, to learn, but then they have to create independence and stop being codependent on a, on a coach and learn to adapt their own training. Shout out to Christian Thibodeau, I actually spoke to him the other day. Oh, uh, cool. Where he's out in Melbourne next, we should have him on the wolf stand. Oh, so that'd be that awesome. Be, uh, oh, I'd love to see episode. that. Yeah, I saw him speak at Swiss. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was yes. really cool. Too. Are we up to the next? Yeah. Yes. Next lift? 150 for a single. Here we go, Adrian. Focus. Come on. Yep. Big push. Get him tight. Big breath through here. Lock it down, hips. Stick with it, push through, three, three. Come on, up, 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 up. keep going. Up, 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 up. Oh, fuck. We, we bombed that, so Max is uh, a 140. 140. Yeah, 140. Bombed, bombed you had it, yeah. had it. So yeah. Had to stick, had to stick with, stick with a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah, you could have had it, definitely. So you just lost his sticking power. And then I started, felt like I'm starting to come forward again on the toes. Yeah, and it just looked like he was just trying to regain. Yeah. But again, it's the same thing. Like, generally, you know, it was uh, cool to do it here, but when you implement a new technique, it wouldn't go so heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Generally yeah. Implement a bit of volume. For the purposes yeah. of the uh, the YouTube and the podcast, we just wanted to give the viewers a... Typical shit. Yeah, just basically... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, I would have liked a bit more of a spectacular end to that. I want to get more clicks. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try. Just, just do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't spot him this yeah. time. <laughs> See if we can fold it in half. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, very good. So, I suppose to just final thoughts on this. Uh, you said you're studying physics and the scientific mind. Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, yeah. So, I, I always had a passion for physics and engineering right from, I mean, from, from like year five, year six. I was always fascinated by. Um, space and always fascinated by the universe and I remember asking complex questions complex questions myself which I wasn't allowed to ask because I was in a Catholic, heavily Catholic school and so some of those questions I couldn't ask but I was thinking them and so this has been a lifelong journey on um, just trying to uh, have this fascinated understanding everything about the universe and and uh, so when I got to school I was gonna go into engineering and decided to join the army instead um, but yeah, when I came back, I decided to take up um, Bachelor of Science and I majored in physics. Uh, didn't quite finish it, I still had a year to go, but um, uh, I ended up pursuing Lifters League instead. Like I was running a side business as a, as a coach and it just started taking off. And I was like, I just want to keep growing this. And, um, but I found that what I have learned from physics has made me, I'd put it hands down, it's what made me good at what I do in terms of not just just in terms of just keep experimenting keep innovating understanding how to solve problems not getting caught up in what people and in, in different fads and methods that are coming out in the industry actually testing it and seeing if it does work knowing the difference between 
um, what is hype and what isn't, and not letting, not being limited by the standards of everyone else where things assumed you, you know, mm. you know girls shouldn't lift heavy, girls shouldn't have a big bench, and then I, you ignore that dogma and just, you know, how can I solve this problem? Yeah. I guess it's a very scientific and, and it's an engineering kind of way of solving problems or looking at looking yeah. at the world. Very good. And Adrian's done here, like where we're calling it. Yeah, yeah, he's done. He's calling it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other one I wanted to ask is like you know, so you've got all that that science backing, and the other thing we spoke about before is that that grind factor. So yeah. when it comes to that kind of psychology part. What do you like to focus on? Like, do you, do you have a certain point? It's like, all right, you've got this exercise mastery. Now you need a bit more. Like, so, where do you find that point? That it's kind of like that teetering point of like that grind, or it's everything's breaking down type thing. So, a lot of it, it, it again, all the fundamentals. Are the first is the is, is the skills work. The grinding part of of strength training is one of the last things yeah. I address. Um, and normally, I'd see in about two or three year mark that that's where becomes their next kind of their next plateau because now they're really starting to reach their potential and now they're actually hitting to the max of it and the next thing is the grind. I find there is a little bit of training you can you can do with it, but a lot of it in terms of getting them through the grind is a lot of talking to their mind. I think when you once you've done all these things, once you get to the more the elite, it's a lot of it's to do with mindset. And you think athletes have it and they, they do, but it really needs to be specific and it needs to be primed and it's like what talk one percent yeah and there's two things it's like what talk are going in their head and what talk is happening when they lift it you know what are they saying to themselves or what do they feel and what can i do to change that language do i change the prices all the steps towards that end mark or do i completely change the language that's going on in their head and see very fast results with that and then it's just practice so i'll get them to grind other lifts, sub-maximal lifts. You know, let's push a front squat. It's not going to be nearly as taxing. Let's push a deadlift off blocks. Not going to be as taxing, but they're going to get a sense of grinding out weight. So that'll be kind of the programming we would implement to get them to start to feel how to grind out. Not just doing it for the gram. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And grinding, not grinder, the app (laughs) that you're familiar with. Oh, yes. Very funny, Adrian. (laughs) Uh, well, on that note, uh, let's head back to the tables and uh, wrap up this podcast. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and uh, make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you click that subscribe button and ding, 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 ding. Ding, what? Ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Do you want me to ding, ding? Yeah, okay. ding, ding. ring the bell. Ring the bell. Ring the bell, that's the one. So we'll <laughs> see you after this quick break. Are you looking to get into the best shape of your life? Are you looking to lose that last five, 10, or even 20 kilos? Well, I founded Enterprise Fitness. Well, I should say I started personal training in 2006 and Enterprise Fitness has been a evolution of my career and finally has brought me to this point of opening up this facility here. And that this facility is dedicated to bringing you the very best standard of personal training bar none. We have trained over 250 champions in competing and, and a variety of different sports as well as quite literally thousands of before and after transformations helps people get in the very best shape of their life. And heck, we've even educated a stack of trainers throughout the world. This has become a travel to destination. So folks, if you are in the Melbourne area, 
hit us up. It's melbournepersonaltrainers.com. This is the place to train. You can email us at info at enterprisefitness.com or the website is melbournepersonaltrainers.com and make sure you check us out on Instagram as well. Reach out to us. We're here to help. And again, this is the place you want to be if you're serious about your fitness and physique goals. Welcome back to the Wolf's Den. I hope you enjoyed that segment with Gus Cook squatting with Adrian. Adrian, how did you find the technique in the squats? Yeah, good, because I'm um, so used to lifting in lifting shoes. Actually, to break it back down and just get rid of all the crap and kind of focus on the, the feet in connection with the ground and focusing on the lift as a whole and not like where do I need to drive from like and trying to correct it halfway through, like committing to the lift. I found that a lot better and a lot smoother. You, you bombed on that 150. What, what was going yeah, on just, there? <laughs> just got to bring that up. <laughs> no, it was just like, it was just probably just not, I haven't worked up to that heavy before. Well, you've never done low bar squat, have you? No, I've done it maybe like three times. Right. So like, you've never yeah. trained it, never done a training yeah. socks. So it's a completely brand new movement yeah. to use a low bar squat. So it was, um, yeah, it was probably just a, a new weight that I haven't built mm. up to before. So but also squatting bare feet. There's yeah, a lot, exactly. lot of changes. It's yeah, a completely yeah. different movement. You didn't have your lifters on, yeah. no belt, no wraps. Method of training as well. Usually it's like I haven't started with a squat in a long time. Like it's everything I've been doing is bodybuilding based. So I'll start with like leg extension to get a pump, you know, and, yeah, yeah, get a pre pump, get activation. Yeah, pre yeah. Everything's pre-fatigue essentially. So you're, just and not, then I you're not in the, uh, the hemisphere of strength training right now. It's all bodybuilding and yeah, yeah, exactly so right. So it's good to bring it back as well and probably um, – you know, utilize that hip dominant squat and to, yeah. What, 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 what do you think you'll take away into your training? Is it the feet? Is it the brace? The feet, definitely the feet thing and the bracing part as well. Um, probably for the, uh, yeah, the lesser, like the lower end reps as well. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. Gus, uh, final thoughts? I guess for everyone to work, work with someone, work with a coach, it's hard to bounce off your own ideas, too much information out there to, um, help address certain issues that, you know, find, find someone who was also, who's going to focus on you, not just give you a link to buy a training template and follow this, these instructions. Um, cause everyone is different and the method I take depends on many variables to get to a goal. So work with someone and find a good coach. And the best coaches have coaches. Yes, the best coaches have coaches. I regularly gone through a few coaches and I'm currently working with uh, Kabuki Strength and um, it's good to have some objective feedback because no matter what, you're always quite subjective on yourself and never your best coach. Yes, you um, can't see your own backswing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you, you go to your own coach and you do all the things that you like yeah, uh, or it feels good and not necessarily things that you hate. And I can testament certainly to your coaching because I've spent a few months, if not over a year, mm -hmm. uh, with your coaching. I had a uh, torn pec just for, for the guys. I had a torn pec a while back, 2007, I think I tore it, a small tear, and I was kind of scared to, to push the numbers. And with your coaching, I hit my, my uh, PB, 135.5. So testament to, uh, to what you do absolutely firsthand. Um, you do very good work. And, Ooh, uh, you. you know, I know the way you work is you get everyone to film everything, upload it onto the Dropbox, show mm -hmm. them Instagram, you know, you're there, you get back to people. So it's, um, it's great. It really is. So, uh, thank you for, for coaching me, but if you guys want to check out what you do, where can the folks, uh, find you? Um, Instagram is very active. I'm very active on there all the time. So you can hit me up on, um, muscle nerd, uh, which is my Instagram or and is that with an underscore or? Um, at muscle nerd underscore, oh, sorry, at muscle underscore nerd underscore. Right. 
Cool. And uh, Lifters League as well? Yep, at Lifters League, one word. Um, that's my gym and all we see all our all our athletes on there all the time. And So you are on the Googles, you know? Yep, yeah. yeah. You can look me up at Lifters League, same thing as well. Um, Facebook, uh, have, a web, have a website as well. You're based in Brisbane, Fortitude Valley, right? Yes. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And uh, Adrian, where can the folks hit you up at? Uh, Instagram works well, so just um, adrian.ferranda. Awesome. And obviously, I am Mark Atobri. You can check me out on Instagram at Mark Atobri. And also, uh, Enterprise Fitness. Make sure you have followed the Enterprise Fitness page, Enterprise Fitness Melbourne. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and ding, ding, uh, ding. Ring that bell. Ding, 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 ding. Ring the bell for all updates. Um, and the other one, Instagram YouTube. Oh, if you're listening to this in your car on Apple iTunes, we would be forever grateful if you could leave us a review and let your friends know, share this podcast, get the message out. Till next time, friends, train hard, eat well, and supplement smart. Yeah.